Amen. What that was, that was the worship before the first time I ever preached in Africa. And it was unbelievable. It was phenomenal. I, I wish you could experience it. and I wish that you could even get a real sense of what that video was like. I, I was standing up front, and you have to keep in mind that, that all they had was a drum set. And they had a couple of people with what they call microphones. <laughs> and, and even those voices were really not in pitch. You know, they had a couple of tambourines, which kind of kept the drummer in tempo. <laughs> but I've never seen people more excited and aware of the presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, that place in particular, let me, let me kind of set a stage for you. Okay, we're, we're in Ghana. We have, we've been there uh, for, this was our third night there. And we had traveled... Um, to give you give you a little idea, we're basically on a plane for roughly counting the layover 24 hours, roughly. We get there then, we, we stayed the night, we got there late at night, their time, stayed the night, got up early, and we drove for another six hours. Um, we went to western Ghana, which, which is kind of in the sticks, although we stayed along the coastline. We were along the coastline the entire time. And, um, but the further west we got, the further into what you would call the jungle or the bush that we got. We got right near where the Ivory Coast is. And, and so by the time we got there, we're staying, we had stayed in, in a hotel the next two, no, it was the next two nights we stayed in a hotel, or, well, I, I don't know if they call them that there. It was, it was a place where we stay and we rented a room. And uh, we were there at the orphanage, we were there at, at um, uh, the school that's there. And then after those two days, then we traveled further, about another two hours, um, to this, this little fishing village called Hafsini. And which is funny how they name things. Apparently there's a full Sini somewhere, because <laughs> this is Hafsini. There is a bigger town in Ghana called Main Sini or whatever it is. So they call this town Half Sini. And it's really stepping back. I would imagine if you were to go back in time two, three hundred years and walk in this town where the, where the fishing part was near the ocean, you would not see any differences. Except, except the occasional, you know, maybe the clothing is a little different. And, and the occasional person holding a cell phone you know, might be a little bit different. Now, if you go into town, then you see, you know, some vehicles and stuff like that. But overall, it is like it was two, three hundred years ago. And, and so, so from there, we were staying there. We stayed there for two nights. And what we did was we reached out to the different places within that village. We had a pastor's conference where... All of the, the pastors from these remote villages would come in, and we spent two days just teaching them. And then um, that, that first night, after teaching them for, for the, the daytime, that first night, um, I got to preach at this church. It was on a Wednesday night, and I, I preached at this church. Now, church there is different than church here. You, you go into this area... 
And now this one happened to be a building, which, which was pretty amazing because most of them aren't. Most of them are outdoor. Most of them might have a, just a roof with open, you know, open air uh, walls. But this one was a building. You go in there, and at night, it's in the mid-90s. <laughs> no air conditioning. It's, it's heavily, uh, uh, just a lot of humidity. And, and then they begin worship. Now, apparently, things are, are in Ghana the way they are in Mexico, the way they are in the U.S., Everybody's late for everything. And so we get there late. They had already been worshiping for probably a half an hour. And they worship for another 45 minutes after that. Now, imagine how hot it is. Imagine you saw what they were wearing. They weren't in shorts and a t-shirt. They dress up for, for coming to church. It was, it's a big deal for them. And they're just, they're so into it. They are, they don't care about the heat. They don't care about the comforts. And I, I don't say this to, to say anything about us. I say this to understand that cultures are different based on, on what we're accustomed to. But God's the same. Our God is the same. God is who put a smile on their face. You know, when, when Lee, Lee was the leader of our group, uh, he and I got up early one morning. And we went down to the, to the uh, shoreline because we wanted to see the boats. We, we didn't know if they were coming in or going out. At this point, they happened to have just come in. They, had, they were out all night and just came in. It was about 7.30 in the morning. And, and we, <laughs> it, was, it, it, it was an experience I've never had before because we have all these, these paradigms in the U.S., you know, here there's racial tension, right? So you can imagine having that paradigm of the U.S. having racial, racial tension uh, between blacks and whites, and literally we were the only white, white people I saw the entire time. There were no other missionaries. There were no other white people, period. So Lee and I get up by ourselves. We go down to the beach, and there are a thousand, at least a thousand people there in the community doing what they're doing from getting this catch in. And all of a sudden, two white people walk into their, the midst of them, and it, it's, it, we, we tend to, you know, catch people's attention. <laughs> the reaction was amazing. The reaction, of course, the little kids, they just mob you. And, and I remember I used to hear that all the time, and it was about they mob you like they want something. And it wasn't that. They mob you because they just want your attention. They, they, you, you are something different to them, and they just want to touch you. I remember when I was filming some stuff, and I, I put this on Facebook. You may have seen it. I'm, I'm down on one knee, and I'm filming these kids. And I'm taking pictures. And there, there's about ten kids just all over me, on top of me. And, and they just wanted to touch me. They wanted to play with my ponytail. <laughs> they wanted to stroke my beard. Nobody there has beards. I don't know why. But, but they just wanted to stroke my beard. They just wanted to touch me. When, when you're standing there and you're just talking to people, they'll come up and they'll just hold your hand. And, and they just, they just want to be by you. They, it, it, it's, it reminded me of how much we should be seeking Jesus Christ. How much we want to hold his hand. How much we want to be with him all the time. 
Why? Because he stands out. He's different. He's not like anybody else. He's God. And he's our Savior. So, so just like those little kids going up and just wanting to place their hand in mine in hopes that I wouldn't reject them, in hopes that I would draw them close, that's how we're to be with Jesus Christ. That's how we're to be with the Holy Spirit. That's not a Sunday thing. That's not a Tuesday night thing. That's not a time for my devotional now thing. That's all the time. See, for them it was a life. It was a lifestyle. Is that a lifestyle for us? And I've got to tell you, I want to warn you of something. I want to show you something, if you could see. These are my notes for today. Okay, I have no notes for today. Because the Holy Spirit didn't give me anything. And he did that on purpose. He said, just go there and talk. Just go there and tell about your experience in God. And, and I'll let them know what they need to know. So, as he begins to reveal things to you this morning, understand he is doing that to all of us as a family. And, and this trip to Ghana showed me so many things. Showed me so many things, and I, I want to tell you a little bit about it, but, but I'm going to get some of the fun stuff out of the way first. See, I met a friend there. I met a friend, and... This was somebody who I was really looking forward to meeting. Someone who I have, I don't want to use the word idolized, but I guess I kind of have. I, I love, I love this person. Someone I brought home with me. Some of you who were here on Tuesday night got to see her. Her name's Chloe. And, and don't worry, she doesn't bite. She probably did at one point. But she doesn't bite any longer. This is Chloe. <laughs> Chloe is a Burmese python. And, and this, was, this, this was a baby. This, this one's only about 12 feet. And I, I expect when I go to Nigeria, I'll get a little bit bigger one there. But I hate to see a grown one. <laughs> yeah, Exactly. Well, this is something, when I went there, I asked them one thing, and I asked them too late. I said, I, said, I so badly want to see a cobra. That, that's the one thing I wanted. If I could be selfish about anything, the one thing I wanted was I wanted to see a cobra, and I wanted to see it live. I wanted to see it not in a cage. I've seen that. I've been to the zoo and seen that. I wanted to see one out in the bush, out in the open, live right there. And... and the, when I was talking to the guy about that, that was we, we were in this uh, uh, in the bush, um, and the guy said, "Oh, I wish I would have known that yesterday." And and I was like, "Why?" He said, "Well, I just killed one yesterday. He he had killed a black cobra, which was about five or six feet long." And and I'm like, "What'd you do with it?" <laughs> I just threw it away. They use it for meat, and they throw the rest away. And I'm thinking, okay, well, next time I'm going to let them know ahead of time. That, that I want that. Because he asked me, he said, so you want one? I said, yeah. He said, well, do you want a live one? I said, no. <laughs> I don't want a live one. I just I want a dead one that I can stuff or I can have the skin for or something. Because my wife will love it. She, she wants me to bring this home. I, I, I think this one would look really good above our bed. I'm just saying. No. 
I know that won't happen because I used to have one, and I'm I used to have one that my dad had killed a, a a rattlesnake when I was a kid, and I had that skin for the longest time, and I'm positive she won't admit it, but I'm positive she threw it away. <laughs> oh, see, she's saying no right now, but I, I'm positive. I mean, we'll know when we get to heaven. We'll know. We'll know what happened to that snake skin. But I always figured I'd get her back one day, and I think I did, just about three times the size. Here. But, uh, but anyway, so, so we, we're, we're in Ghana, and, and um, this is a little bit different than you know, what I was used to. I was used to going down to Mexico. And some things are similar, but some things were very different. First of all, the heat. You, you come here where it's kind of getting into winter. They don't understand the word winter. <laughs> they are mid-90s, I think is pretty much what it is all the time there. Um, and and the, if you've ever stepped into a really a third world country, you'll understand what I'm saying. It's, you, you leave conveniences behind, right? You, you leave your comforts behind. And, and I don't say that to scare you because it wasn't like something you can't get through. No, you can. I mean, what happens here when it's hot in the summertime and you just deal with the heat, right? You deal with the heat there. Uh, in this town, they did have it. They did have uh, fans and they did have uh, uh, things like that when the electricity worked. Um, uh, oftentimes, the electricity would go out. But, but anyway, so I'm walking down. Lee and I, we walk onto the beach and, and we walk into these literally a thousand people. And if, if you followed Facebook at all, then you saw a bunch of the pictures of this. But I saw these boats stacked right one after the other, one after the other. And all of them are hand-carved boats. You know, they don't have tools like we have. They don't have, and, and I took some pictures, I think, of some of the ones that they were working on. They literally take these big logs and they carve them out. And, and that's what they make these boats out of. And, and then they paint the boats and they name the boats. But every one of the boats had sayings on it, like, like, thank you, God, or we have hope, we believe in God, you know, that sort of thing. And it was so different than the culture that we're a part of where that is so politically incorrect. And I'm thinking, these people have nothing and yet political correctness doesn't matter to them. Why? Because it means their very life. It means, it means their very existence. And, and it, was, it was humbling to see. We got to talk to this one young man, and I, I'm going to guess he was late teens, maybe early 20s, probably more late teens. And, and he was explaining to us kind of the process of their daily life. You know, they, they last that night they had gone out and they had a catch. He said the catch was a poor catch. And, and we got to see the catch. They, they had it there. They had already gotten it into baskets. And, and he said, so we'll probably go back out today because the catch was so poor. Um, but, but he was explaining to me that they use everything they get. And they had this big basket of, of little tiny fish. And I mean, I mean tinier than what you would put in an aquarium. You know, they were just these little silver fish, skinny little silver fish. And, and I thought they were like bait fish or something. I mean, here in the U.S., those would be bait fish to go catch, catch something bigger, right? Well, 
I asked him that. I said, what are those used for? Are those like bait fish? And I don't think he understood what I meant. But he said, no, that, that's our biggest staple. That's, that's what they catch the most of. And that's their biggest source of food. And, and I kind of looked at him like, you're kidding me, right? You eat these? And he said, oh, yeah, let me show you. <laughs> I knew right away I was in trouble. <laughs> so so <clears throat> we follow him back. He, he, we go back in the beach a little bit to his hut and where, where his family lives. And, and you have to understand what this looks like. They don't have floors. It's, it's basically a stick. You know, uh, uh, they have these reeds down there that are kind of like bamboo, but not quite like that. They build these stick figure huts, and then they take mud, and they pack the mud between it. And that's their house. And then on top are just palm branches for, for a roof. So he takes us back to his hut, and in the middle of the hut is what they use, I guess, for their, their uh, uh, cooking or whatever. He pulls out this bowl, and he said, here they are. Here, try one. And um, one thing Lee told me is he, he said, if they offer you something, take it and eat it. <laughs> I thought, oh, boy, that's not good. So I took it, and I ate it. And it actually didn't taste bad at first. It tasted like potato chip. But it was, it was just this dried, and they, they don't cook them. It's just sun-dried. And, and it was um, uh, just this little fish. But then the aftertaste is what wasn't really good. So I suppose if you keep eating them, then you're okay. But, but when you stop, you need to get something else in there. But I, I, thought, I thought to myself, this is their biggest staple. You know, this is their, now I'm sure it had protein. I'm sure that it had a lot of the nutrients, you know, from the sea that, the, I mean, clearly they live on it. But I thought, wow, that, that's all they have. They literally have nothing. And yet, these are some of the happiest people I've been around. I mean, they had such joy. They didn't, nobody asked me for anything. Nobody said that they wanted to better their lives. They wanted to show me their lives. They wanted me to see how they lived and how joyous they were in God. And it blew me away. It made me realize that God is at work. And, and the bigger we make our horizons, the more we're going to understand that he is at work. When we bring ourselves into a little box, you've heard the, the term, don't put God in a box. Okay, that's not just about what we believe in God. That is also about what we experience in his creation. If we keep ourselves in this little box, we'll never understand what he has for our lives. We'll never understand the calling that he has for us as a church. And that's something really important to understand. As a matter of fact, I want you to turn somewhere. I want you to turn to, let me see, I know it's Matthew 28. Last, last couple of verses. Matthew 28, verse 19. Matthew 28, 19. I'm going to read, uh, let's see. I'll, I'll do 19 and 20. What's happening here is this is right before Jesus is ascending into heaven. These are one of the, one of the last things that Jesus says to his disciples, right? He says this, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I want you to turn one more place. Uh, the beginning of Acts, which basically ends at the same place that, or starts at the same place that that ends. Acts chapter 1, and uh, let's look, what verse is it here? Let's look at verse 8. And, and again, this is right before Jesus ascended into heaven. He, has been, he had been with his disciples for three years. He died he resurrected from the dead, and he had been with them, seen by 500 people for 40 days now. And this is right before he leaves. The very last thing he does before he leaves in instructing his disciples. He said, but you will receive, he tells them to wait in Jerusalem. Okay. He said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And oftentimes, I've heard hundreds of sermons on this, you know, about how we are to be, um, we're to be witnesses right where we are. And then he calls some people to go over here. And then he calls some people to go over here. Okay? I don't see it that way. I certainly don't see it that way for this church. Because... The way technology is today, we have a lot more responsibility than they did, than the disciples did. Okay, so take a look at the disciples. How far was their reach? Do you know to the known world back then, they reached every piece of it? I mean, we don't think about that. We think that they reached Jerusalem maybe a little bit outside of that. But the apostles reached all over. And then from there, it grew and grew and grew. Okay, so our responsibility is really not about reaching just, you know, one place. I, I don't even think you should look at it geographically. I think you should look at it in two, a sequence of two events. Lord, where do you want me? Where do you want me tomorrow? Where do you want me next week? And then, Lord, wherever you put me, help me to open my mouth. Help me to open my mouth and let people know about you. See, when you take that attitude toward witnessing for him, you're going to find he puts you all over. He puts you everywhere. Why? Not just because those people need to hear from Christ. It's because of the effect you have on the people that are there. We had an effect on the pastors that were there in Ghana. Do they know the Lord? Yes. Do they know the word of God? Yes. Can they share the gospel? Yes. But there was something that happened when we went there and we encouraged them and we led them and we poured over them and we prayed over them. Something happened. That's called working together as the body of Christ. Now this morning, you know, I, I feel compelled to... To, to just help you to understand, again, I've said it many, many times, but I feel compelled to help you to understand what Ignition's calling is. This is not a normal calling. I, I want to make that really clear. God made it so clear to me in Ghana, 
He probably gave me more vision in Ghana about Newark than he's done in any other, any other time for Newark. The entire time, he, he was opening my eyes about Newark, Delaware, about what he wants to build here and the reason why he wants to build it. It wasn't about what he wants to do in Ghana or what he wants to do in Nigeria. It was about the foundation being built in Newark. So it's important that you understand what you're, what you're called to. If you're called to this church, you are called to the calling of this church. You're not called here to just come and receive. That's part of it. You're not called here to just come and do your own thing. You're called here to be a part of something that God is using to further his ministry. So it's important that you understand the calling of Ignition Church. See, Ignition started out as, as a college ministry. It started out as a ministry that, I mean, Alexa and I never intended on starting a church. That was never in the plan. As a matter of fact, when Holy Spirit first told us that, it was almost like, what? <laughs> You're kidding me. It started out as a college ministry. And Wendy was a part of it from the very beginning. And pouring into these young people about not setting borders. So from the very beginning, we knew that our calling was outside of Newark, Delaware. We knew that our calling was outside of the U.S. We knew our, call, our calling was everywhere simply because there were no borders. There were no walls. And so as the Holy Spirit started to reveal to me what his calling was and where we're to go, it can tend to be a little overwhelming. It can, especially from my point of view, trying to portray it for you. It's one thing for me to hear directly from the Holy Spirit and, and him, him giving me two continents and four countries that we're going to be in. Okay, That's one thing, me receiving that, me knowing it's him, 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 him confirming that to me, and then me trying to explain that to you. You know, to say that we are going to have a worldwide impact when we have 40 people sitting in a living room seems ridiculous, right? But you have to understand that it's the absolute truth. I've seen it. I've been there. I've seen what God's doing. And God shows us along the way little pieces of evidence to show that we're on the right track. That we are doing what he wants us to do. When he gave me something this morning that, that's evidence of that again. You know, we know right now we're waiting for a building that God has already promised. It's ridiculous that we would be in this building. I mean, seriously. It's as big as a super Walmart. Why do we need that much room? We don't need that. It's ridiculous to think that our very first building is 150,000 square feet or whatever it is. It's ridiculous to think that, right? Not for God. Not if you start to put into it the entire picture. Not if you put into it the fact that Newark will be the very hub that feeds the entire world. Do you understand what I'm saying? Put in your mind, just for a second, 
Set aside how ridiculous that sounds. Set aside the natural barriers in your mind to believe that God only wants to work this much in your life. Put those barriers aside and let him speak to you. Because what he's going to show you is your world is so much bigger than this. Your outreach is so much bigger than this. What he is building in you right here in Newark is going to affect all those little kids that I met on the beach. 5,112 miles away. It's going to affect people we don't know. It's going to raise up people we don't know. God will give confirmation along the way, but he wants us to step in faith. This morning, he gave a confirmation. You know, one of the things of, you know, obviously one of the concerns of a startup church, and certainly a church about to step into the building the size of a Walmart, is finances. How's that going to be provided for? Good night. Forget the fact that they're, they're going to give it to us and fix it up for us, and, and that won't cost us anything. we still got to pay for it to be run. we still got to do all this. God says, don't worry about it. I've got it. He told me back in January, he said, pay attention to the number three. This may or may not make sense to you, but he said, pay attention to the number three. Because I'm going to use the number three, which in the, in the word of God means it's, it's a symbol of the Trinity. He said, pay attention to number three because I'm going to use it in times that will show you're on track. That may not mean anything to you, but it means the world to me because I can probably lay down for you at least a hundred times. At least a hundred times where he has proven himself in that number three. And he did it again this morning when, when Wendy came up to me. And she knows what I'm talking about because the Holy Spirit said the same thing to her. She understands this. But somebody who doesn't even go to our church gave us a check this morning. And I'll give you one guess how much the check is. $333. Okay, this, this person has no clue about God's promise to us. I, I told Wendy, I said, you need to call her this afternoon and ask her why she wrote it for that. Because I would, I would guess that the Holy Spirit said, put this amount down. Give this amount, because then they'll know. They'll know that I am with them. They'll know that their borders are being expanded, and I'm the one doing it. Not just some idea to go out there and... and, and have fun going to Ghana or have fun going to Nigeria building building some kind of ministry. No, there's a purpose in it. God has a plan for it. God has a plan to reach this world to draw the the, the body of Christ together for one more revival. I believe it with my whole heart. Many of you have heard the vision he gave me for snowflakes. You know, I did some calculation of that. That was almost two years ago. That was before we were a church. 
He gave me a vision. It was, I'll just tell it to you for those of you who have not heard this. We were on a prayer walk, and it was snowing, and this was the first year of prayer walks, and, and it seemed like every time we had a prayer walk, we got 10 feet of snow. And it was ridiculously cold. You know, it was like fighting every time we get out there. And we, we'd always have, you know, 10 to 20 people. And, and I figured my job was different than theirs. We'd always go to the green at the U of D, which wasn't green at all. It was white because it was snowing. But we'd go there, and they'd pray over the buildings. We didn't see many people, so it wasn't about stopping and praying with people. But they would pray over the dorms. They'd pray for the administration. They'd pray for the teachers. They'd pray, you know, whatever for the U of D. I felt my job was to pray for them. So I spent the entire time walking around by myself praying for them. Well, this one morning, it was so cold, it was bitter cold, and, and it, it, there was probably already two or three inches of snow on the ground. It was snowing like just ridiculous. It was windy, and it was just everything. It was like, I seriously don't want to be out here today. <laughs> so I start praying for them, and, and, I, and I, I just pray. I pray, Lord, just, just give them 10 more degrees. Just, just let them warm up just a little bit. Just, I, I just pray, God, that, that you, you let them feel the warmth somehow. Of, of it warming up. And, and then that, I prayed that, and then it left my mind. And, and then I started thinking about the snow, and I'm looking at the snow, and it was beautiful. I, I love the snow anyways. But it was coming down, and, and all of a sudden, the Lord puts a thought in my mind. And, and what the vision was, was that every snowflake represented a soul that ignition would be a part of reaching. And as soon as I had that, that vision and as soon as I had that thought, I prayed confirmation over it. Lord, Lord, I pray that that's so, that every single snowflake that falls to the ground where I'm at here, that it will represent a soul being reached that ignition has a part of. Remember, this is before we were in church. We're, we're, we're just a group, I don't even know how many, what, what we had, 30 or 40 college young people. You know, so, so I'm praying this, and just like God, the second I prayed that, the sky cleared, it was perfectly blue sky. If you've ever stood in the green of, of the University of Delaware, you know there are these tall buildings all the way around, right? Okay, and, and so, so if you're standing in there, all you see are the tall buildings, and, and at least within that area, everything became perfectly blue. The sun's hitting us, it's warmer, everything's feeling good, and I found myself depressed. <laughs> the very thing I had prayed for was that they would get to be warmed up. God answers that prayer, and now I'm depressed because I think it's not going to snow anymore. Then I'm looking around, and it dawns on me it's still snowing. And I look at it, I'm by myself, and I, I just stop, and I look at it, and I'm like, okay, you're kidding me, God, really? And I'm looking up, I'm thinking, well, is the snow blowing off of the, the rooftops? No, I, I, you didn't see anything blowing off. I look straight up, and all I could see was this clear blue backdrop, and snowflakes appearing from nowhere, just coming down from nowhere. And by this time, Josh had walked up to me, 
And I look at him, I, I said, do you, do you see what I see, or am I going nuts? And he looked at me and he said, you mean snowing? I said, yeah. I said, look up. Do you see any clouds? No. But you see snow, right? Yeah. Thank you, Lord. See, the Lord wanted to answer the prayer and give them ten more degrees. Give them the sun. Give them the comfort to bless them while they pray. But he wasn't done with the snowflakes. He wasn't done with our calling. He wasn't done with the very souls that are going to be reached through ignition. So he had to let it snow. And this didn't happen for 15 seconds. This lasted, and and I would imagine there are a few here that were on that prayer walk. This happened for a good two or three minutes. Now, I don't know if there's some scientific explanation of what happened. I really don't care. As long as the snowflakes were falling, each one represented a soul. Well, it didn't dawn on me until later to try and do some calculations. And recently I did some calculations on that. I, I estimated the because I figured where we were was in this green, right? And and I, I figured now, there's, there's a lot of figuring in this, okay? I, I'll call it scientific calculation, but, but in reality, it's probably, like, like a lot of science, not based on science. But. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. Anyways, um, uh, so, so I did some basic calculations, and, and I figured within this, this area, if you, if you figure out the square footage of, of this area, and you figure how many, how many uh, flakes fell within a square foot, within a minute, and then you multiply that times how many minutes it was, I came up with a number. And the number blew me away. The number was a little over a billion souls. Now, I'll tell you why that blew me away. It was because I started watching six months before that. I started watching God TV and really enjoying the programming on God TV. But for the first time... Their slogan hit me like a ton of bricks. Their slogan was, a billion souls for Jesus Christ. See, that's not an accident. God wants us to be a part of that. We're not directly responsible for that. Don't don't get me wrong. It's not that that is all us. But what we're responsible for is drawing the body of Christ together to work in partnership together to achieve what God wants to achieve. You know, one of the things I noticed when I was over in Ghana is they're no different than the United States. Children don't play together well. The churches don't play together well. This church doesn't like this church because this church has air conditioning. Okay, this church over here, well, they have a building. Well, this church, they have a lot of people. And, you know, it's no different everywhere. That's how it was in, in Mexico. But you know what? It's not supposed to be that way. And, and what God has laid on my heart now for two years, what even came about in the beginning of Ignition, before it was a church, One of the things I insisted on, which was one of the problems initially that we had, was I insisted that it would not be in one church. 
that it needed to be outside where it can help all churches, where it can draw all churches together. See, nobody's doing that. Everybody's more interested in their own thing. So what would happen if we were different? What would happen if we went into Newark, Delaware, and we cared about the other churches around us? What would happen if we went and we helped them grow? I don't know about you, but that's the opposite of what most people would think, right? We gotta go out there and we gotta, we gotta market ourselves and, and we've gotta let them know what we're doing and we've gotta, you know, make our programs better and, and all this. Baloney. That's not what the Bible teaches. If you want results, you invest in people. If you want the body of Christ to come together and operate as the body of Christ, you invest in those people. See, we're about to start a work in Nigeria. Again, from another vision that God had given me, and a, a, a man that I had met over a year ago. It was a divine appointment. I met a pastor from Nigeria. It was August, not of last year, but the year before. August of 2014. I met him by chance. He, he had met some of our young people coming back from Mexico. And, and from that meeting, I got to be with him for about 15, 20 minutes and prayed with him. And, and he and I developed a relationship. From there, God began to show me what his plans are for Nigeria. Why Nigeria? I, I don't know. I never could figure it out at the beginning. Well, I began to see God's plan. And for me, until this Ghana trip, it was always kind of separated. Well, we have the work in the States. We have the work down in Mexico. We have this work that we're going to begin in Nigeria. When I was in Ghana, the Holy Spirit tied it all together for me. He said, do you understand that without Newark, Delaware, without that factory being built... You don't have Nigeria. You don't have Mexico. You don't have these other places that God's going to call us. You have some ministry that you could go do there. But it's not going to affect the world. This factory here is the hub of everything. That's what he is calling us to, to become. Become a factory that literally builds people and, and, and prepares people to do the work that God calls them to do. See, that has a lot to do with paradigm change. That has a lot to do with us recognizing that how we were brought up, you know, getting ours, making sure that we're what we want to be, all those paradigms have to change. Because it's about what God wants. It's about God, what God wants in us. What God may call different individuals to go do. See, in, in, uh, in April, we begin a work in Nigeria. And I'll, I'll, I'll probably be going out there for a quick trip before that. But in April, we begin a work. And I knew some of the obstacles to this work. 
Because although I know Andrew, this pastor that's there, and by the way, he is not just a local pastor. Turns out he is a, he is a regional executive pastor over 62 churches. He is roughly over 20,000 people. Okay? And he tells me how over the last year and a half, he, they are just waiting for us to be there. They're eager for us to be there. Why? Because of what we could bring them? No. It's because the Holy Spirit told him that change comes with us. That when we go there, change is coming with us. Now, to him, change was reaching people that are unreached. He said, see, our, our church isn't interested in that anymore. He said, our church, all they care about is living a better life. You know, they can, much like U.S. churches, they're more interested with what's going on inside the walls. Not interested in what's going on outside the walls. And he said, the Holy Spirit, I've been praying that God would send people to facilitate that change. And he said, then I met you. And he said, that's what God's doing with you. We haven't even set foot there yet. And we've got an army literally waiting for us to be there. Do you understand? If we get it right here, if we build this factory here that churns out people on fire for God, God's going to send them all over the world. God's going to send them all over locally. God's going to send their mouth anywhere that he needs a mouthpiece. This world has no borders. This calling has no borders. So break the paradigm in your mind that we have these walls and we're 40 people sitting here. Do you understand 12 people changed the world? 12. Imagine what 40 could do. Jesus Christ wants, to, wants us to have faith right now. And thank him for what doesn't even exist yet. Do you know what a joy it will be when we walk in that building the first time? Knowing that God gave it to us and we believed him before there was any evidence of that. Simply because he said so. You know, as a father, I tell Yvonne all the time, you know, when I tell her to do something, why, Daddy? Because I said so. <laughs> right? That, that's like the parent's right to do. Believe me, because I said so. Not because I have any philosophical reason I need to tell you, but because I said so. I just want you to believe me because I said so. Do you think God's any different? See, he wants us to believe him because he said so. Because his word said, trust in me, and I'll show you great and mighty things. If you just open your eyes and trust me, I'm going to show you a much bigger world than you could ever have imagined. There are people sitting here that will be called to amazing things that right now you can't imagine. One of the visions I had when I was in Ghana, I think I freaked him out a little bit, 
but they were doing worship, and this guy was leading the worship, and of course it was all in whatever language they were speaking. I, I didn't know what it was, but but he was, man, he was so passionate and so off-key, <laughs> but he was passionate, and he'd just, you'd hear this, ah, blah, 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 and then they'd repeat it, and he was so passionate, and, and right then and there, God gave me a vision. I'm looking at him, and I just saw him doing that very thing in heaven, leading worship in heaven. And, and so when I got up, I, I was preaching that next thing, and I got up and I, and I said that. Now, I don't, he didn't speak English, so I don't know how it was translated. But that guy who had nothing gave everything. His whole passion, his whole life was about doing what God called him to do right there. And it didn't matter to him. It didn't matter that there were no instruments to accompany him. It didn't matter that he wasn't on key. He may not have known he was off key. All that mattered was that God heard him. And so he was loud. And he was passionate. Oh, what God would do with this church if we set aside the things that we are worried about. Set aside our own goals that we want in our own lives. And just say, Lord, whatever you want. Whatever you want. See, I came to that threshold a few years ago. When I was in business, I was doing what I thought I wanted to do. Wanted to make money, wanted to be financially independent, wanted to have the fun things and and yet be in ministry. God gave me a choice. And he said, I want you to get rid of all those things. I want you to trust me. From the moment that I trusted him and I set those things aside, number one, he's been faithful in providing Number two, he has opened my eyes to what he wants in my life more than he ever had. He's revealed to me what he wants to do. And for me, all I have to do is be willing. That's it. I don't have to go to school. I don't have to, you know, go and... and He's already prepared me. See, he's preparing you. He has already prepared you to open your mouth. And he'll send you where he needs you to be. Right now, you're called to Ignition Church. And like I said at the beginning, it's not just to receive. You're called here uniquely because it's to pour out. Because when we get in this building, I'm telling you right now, the Bible talks about, in Revelation chapter 4, the Bible talks about something coming on suddenly. Okay, it talks about the, the, the tribulation, the, the 70th week of Daniel coming on suddenly. And what that means is that when it comes, it's going to happen quick. It wasn't, he wasn't saying back when, when he gave it to John that it was going to happen right then. He was saying when it happens, it's going to happen quick. So be prepared for it. 
So this time that you are waiting, use that time wisely to prepare for the speed that's going to be coming. That doesn't just apply to the leadership of this church. That applies to everybody in this church who, who is called to be involved. Because I'm telling you, when we get in this building, it's going to be rapid. God is going to pour people into that building, needing him, being saved, needing to be discipled. If you don't prepare now, it's going to feel overwhelming. It's going to feel overwhelming because you haven't thought through the process. So begin thinking through that. Because that's also part of the faith process in knowing, Lord, we believe what you're doing. We thank you that that building is ours. We thank you that it's paid for. We thank you that we're going to get all the things that are needed for it. We trust you, God. We trust your timing. And we know that when you do it, we want to be prepared because it's coming suddenly. Those people that need to be discipled, they're coming suddenly. So wrap your brain around that. Because you're called to something different here. And it's not about building our own. It's about pouring in to others. When we go to Nigeria, we're not, we're not planting churches in the south. Which is where, where we're going at the beginning. We're going there to, to build schools discipleship schools, and I I won't take the time to explain that right now. But it's to build a base in the south to plant churches in the north. Well, see, the north is where there's a war. The north is where Boko Haram is. The north is where the waging spiritual warfare is some of the fiercest. But see, God's called us to that. And he's given us strategy for that. That's why we're going to Nigeria. To help these 20,000 people see that God is calling them to expand. God is calling them to reach the world from where they're at. It's not something to be afraid of. God is not putting us in harm's way. I felt a lot safer in Ghana than I would feel walking through Wilmington. So it's not a matter of that. There's nothing to be afraid of when you're following his will. There's something to be afraid of when you're not. Let's pray.